Mick Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner, uh, is in our Dublin studio as always on a Friday. Good afternoon to you, Mick. How are you, Jonathan? I want to talk about um, uh, Vincent Brown, first of all, because, well, actually, do you know what? Let's listen to Vincent. I caught up with him a little bit earlier on, basically because Fine Gael and Labour seem to have just said, we're not going to take part in your programme. Um, this is a programme, 40 different constituencies. They're going to go to every one of them over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but Fine Gael and Labour don't want to play ball. I asked him, first of all, uh, was the debate which was planned to be recorded tonight still going ahead? Well, absolutely, certainly. We can't allow political parties to determine what we do. And the debate not, not just goes ahead tonight, it will go ahead uh, for, in all 40 constituencies, whether or not the uh, Fine Gael and Labour TDs participate. There's no question about that. When was it communicated to you that you weren't going to have government TDs taking part in these debates? We were in touch with uh, the press offices of both Labour and Fine Gael prior to Christmas, and we had an agreement that the two Fine Gael TDs, Simon Harris, and Andrew Doyle would participate, and that the Labour TD and Harris and, and Ferris would participate. Subsequent then, we told them that we thought that the candidates, the third candidates for the next election, should also participate on the panel. They objected to that. So we went back to the original idea. Um, we then were informed the Fine Gael TDs wouldn't take part, and we were informed that Labour TD and Ferris would take part. This was three days ago. And yesterday we were informed she wouldn't take part. Why? Why did they tell you they wouldn't take part? And they uh, had a, a, a range of reasons, um, all of them applicable from in relation to when they first agreed to take part. And so there's no explanation why they changed their mind. In, in any of the cases, no explanation why there was a change of mind. Is there any justification for this, in your opinion, in your experience as a journalist? Uh, it's, it's odd, but that's the way it is. I assume they just don't want to face an, a public audience, even of their own constituents, because of the public anger. And uh, they wish to curtail such encounters as much as possible. Um, the problem is that you're going to have debates now that will be slanted, and that's not what you want. You want it to be a full and a rounded debate. Are you going to have to empty chair them tonight, that you will have two empty chairs or three empty chairs where the Fine Gael and Labour candidates should be? We're thinking of doing that. Um, but we don't want to exacerbate tensions between us and the political parties. And indeed, if they wish to change their minds or if they wish to contact us uh, and seek further assurances of balance, fair balance, uh, we're willing to do that. But they've done another thing which is uh, bizarre, and it is that we ask them to send members of their parties to the audience and that we ensure that those members got seating in the audience. Um, and they've withdrawn those as well. So they are, uh, it's as though they're contriving to make the debates unbalanced. Uh, Vincent, to finish up, I mean, you, you, you've had your run-ins with Enda Kenny. He's never appeared on your programme since you made uh, comments, which I know, uh, I, think, I think you may subsequently have, have addressed uh, and apologised for, for the for, he, didn't, for that. he didn't appear either before then. Right, OK. Well, I th- you moved to apologise for those comments. He still doesn't come on. I, I thought you might be heading in the direction where this... This falling out was over and we were moving on in a mature way, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, I don't think it is. I'd be surprised if it had anything to do with that. I think that they just don't wish to face uh, the the public and particularly their constituents at a time when the parties are hugely unpopular. TV3 is Vincent Brown speaking to me earlier. Mick, the statement from Fine Gael, uh, is it acceptable what they're saying in response? 
I don't think so, Jonathan. Jonathan, a couple of things about the media. Two things that are often thrown at the media. One is that it is Dublin-centric. There may well be some basis for that. And uh, secondly, that it trivialises issues. What Vincent Brownlee's programme are doing are, first of all, they're taking it right around the country, 40 different constituencies, and they're also attempting to engage on policies and issues that are affecting people. Now, for the government of the day to issue an edict to its, its first, in the first instance, its public representatives, and secondly, to members of the party, that they not cooperate with this at all. I think is quite amazing. Uh, it obviously they're, they're, shows... What they're, what they're saying is, they're saying this is not the time for election debates because that's what clearly they are viewing this as. Well, for, in the first instance, it is time. And secondly, it's a question of engaging with the people. Their leader, Mr. Kenny, is well known for the fact that he does not want to engage. The, the, uh, the reasons that are put forward for that is that he is not good in that situation. Be that as it may, highly exceptional in any kind of developed democracy, the notion that the whole party will not engage with a project like this, I quite, find quite amazing. And putting out this statement suggesting our focus in government over the next 15 months is to work relentlessly to fulfil the mandate. What has that got to do with engaging? I mean, it's as if they've decided democracy consists of the ballot box and you can opt out for the next five years as you choose rather than engage with the electorate in public forum like this. Um, but the problem is that they're not going to be empty chaired. And if you're empty chairing somebody, perception is a lot more important in political terms than reality. And of all governments, this government should appreciate that. And the further they persist with this, the more damage they're going to do. Is this further evidence, if we need it, Andy, that the guys who are running the political parties and who are running the government are too far removed from the electorate at this moment in time? Well... Are they too far removed? Is it a strategy? Is it a strategy that the best damage limitation is not to engage with the people? Now, if that is the case... If I was a backbencher, Mick, if I was a backbencher, right? I know some of them may not be the most polished media performers, but then to go back into your community and say, oh, I I saw you the other night, John, and and you weren't on. They didn't allow you on, did they not? That would do me an awful lot more damage than going on and making an idiot of myself. Absolutely, and most of them wouldn't make idiots of themselves at all. And the other thing is, back again to the way the government's conducting itself, we were told for the last year after after they made one cock-up after another that the issue was communication. They needed to communicate better. If this is their idea of communicating better, they're in serious trouble altogether, I think. Uh, The other big story of the week domestically was the emergency department crisis. Now, the point I've been making is that it's not a crisis. This is something that we've accepted failure in our emergency departments as the norm and when you do that it's not a crisis all it is is an escalation of that failure further and and the solution seems to be to move people to to other areas of the hospital rather than address it. Now the HSE would defend this by saying look there's different factors that would have affected this at the start of the year there was an increased number of people who were going to the emergency departments Uh, budget funding would only have become available on January 1st if they wanted to move people out to nursing homes but overall how have they dealt with this this week? And is it not just a case that we had to get this real media crisis where everyone was looking for the minister and everybody wanted to see actions quickly before something got done? But that's an awful indictment in itself, Jonathan. That, you know, it was predicted this was coming. Leo Varadkar says he knew this was coming. It comes every year. And the fact that it's then treated as a crisis, 
I just, I, it's quite obvious to me that the political will is not there to do the kind of thing that's required. Because what happens is this becomes a crisis in the first weeks of January. Um, dozens, if not hundreds of people and their loved ones go through ter- awful trauma in sitting in chairs, on, in lying on trolleys. And then as the winter recedes, it passes. And the health service being in, in the, the kind of the problems that it has, the, the focus moves on elsewhere and this is not dealt with properly until it comes around again. Remember, a task force was set up to deal with this specific issue back in, I think it was, 07. It met, it made recommendations, the recommendations weren't met and then what's the response? A new task force was set up there just prior to Christmas. I now, mean, I'd like to point out as well, I, the very semantic point that the Minister made when he was on with Shane during the week, this wasn't an emergency task force, this was an emergency department task force. So again, you know, you're taking the urgency out of the whole task force sitting there in the first place. Yeah, and you know, as well, to be fair, taken away just from the political culpability, a whole, um, in, it needs to be looked at in a very holistic way. Are there other elements within the hospital that can help with this or is it a matter that must be confined to the emergency department? I mean, I think Leo Varadkar's suggestion about protocol in terms of spreading it effectively throughout the hospital, there are plus and minus with that. But I wonder, are things like that, the idea of putting extra beds in wards, have these been properly explored and is, is what is blocking them? Um, issues around public health or are there other things that play there? I mean, I think to be fair, we need to explore every avenue in trying to uh, fix it one way or the other. Okay, just to finish up, make a terribly sad week with the events unfolding in Paris and in particular what happened with the staff, the journalists at Charlie Hebdo, not, not taking away from, from the police officers who died in that as well. Uh, this was a horrific attack on the freedom of the press. I know the Taoiseach uh, visited the French ambassador to offer his support this morning. I, I read somewhere he left wearing a Je suis Charlie badge, um, that kind of message that's been doing the rounds. But what did you make of the pressure that was coming on people to retweet what um, they had put on their, the cartoons that, uh, you know, had offended people? that some blamed for, for what happened. Uh, you know, did, was it all incumbent on us to, to retweet those or republish those? Or should we, you know, respect their right to do it without having to repeat what they had said in the first place? Yeah, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, the, the notion that we should automatically retweet it as effectively um, a symbol of our defiance to this attack on freedom of speech, on democracy itself, on, civil, on Western civilization, in some ways, the notion that we should do that, I mean, in theory, I can understand it. But do you get to a position that then you are gratuitously offending people? It's a tough one. Now, we, we have a separate issue here, and that's the blasphemy laws here. And uh, that's something that needs to be repealed. But they, it is they, And that was something that was so under the radar that hadn't been discussed in so long. It's something like this that has brought it back to the fore, that we have something on our statute books that quite clearly needs to be addressed. Yeah, that they, and we've been told it's going to be a constitutional referendum, but now that has been put back. But it, it is a very difficult area. The idea between uh, using satire to send out a message, a, a public interest message, and gratuitously offending, there is a line between those. And in fairness to Charlie Hebdo, it, it was satire they were using, they were continually using, but... Is is the message the medium? Therefore, I mean, if you use that and you uh, 
widespreadly, do, you do it in a widespread manner in order to show a symbol of defiance. I just don't know, Jonathan. I think it is a very grey area, definitely. But this problem is, and it's not confined to freedom of speech, it is not going to go away. And I think, you know, we're seriously going to have to look at ways to tackle this. You're talking in a huge way, more than anything, more than religion, more than anything, you come back to disaffected youth, disenfranchised youth in certain areas in Europe, in the wider Western world. And what can you do to combat that one way or the other?